Hallelujah. We are continuing. Uh, we are up to chapter 10. Oops. Chapter 10 in the Gospel of John. Glory to God. This is the, uh, the Good Shepherd Discourse, chapter 10. Hallelujah. Jesus switches from teaching. He just, uh, in the previous chapter, he opened a, a blind man's eyes, and I like the way Pastor Wayne <laughs> puts it. Uh, uh, Jesus told him what to do. He obeyed, and he got what Jesus told him he was going to get. And it doesn't say if he, you know, he, he spit on the ground and he made mud. doesn't say if he put it on his eyelids or actually put it in his eyes or not. But either way, the man obeyed Jesus and was healed. And that caused a big stir. They brought the guy, they arrested the guy and brought, put him on trial. Is this the guy that was, how do you know? He was born blind. Yeah, right. We don't believe it. So the Pharisees, they get into this big argument and, and, and they don't get it. They just simply do not get it. So chapter 10, he's continuing here and he's speaking to the Pharisees. Not all of them, but some of the Pharisees. And he begins by saying, truly, truly, I say to you. Now this is important because it, he repeats this and in the Old English it's amen and amen and it's emphatic. According to um, uh, Dake's uh, commentary on the Bible, this phrase, amen and amen, or amen by itself, is used 105 times by Jesus in the New Testament, in all of the Gospels. And when he doubles it, amen, amen, there's 25 times that he does that. And so um, Matthew Henry's commentary he kind of uses kinda some old English also. He says, this is a vehement asseveration that intimates the certainty and weight of what he said. <laughs> Those are big fancy words. It simply means Jesus is declaring something. He's affirming it. He's emphatically or solemnly saying, listen guys, this is the real deal. This is the real deal. Because the Pharisees, they're claiming that we're in charge here. We're, the, we're the, the good shepherds, you know. We're the ones that know everything. And Jesus is intruding on their empire, so to speak. They see Jesus as an intruder and an imposter. They've already, several times, claimed that Jesus is demon-possessed. What a, what a statement, <laughs> There's God in the flesh before them, and they're saying he's demon-possessed. Those folks needed God to open their eyes. Amen? They were self-sufficient because at previous, uh, uh, the last part of chapter 9 is a continuation of this conversation. The words are in red, so we know it's Jesus' words. And, he's, and they're basically saying that, you know, Jesus, we see, and Jesus says, if you really saw, uh, you would see that you have sin in your lives and you need to get rid of it. But their, uh, their obstinacy, their stubbornness is that they're self-sufficient and they're self-guided. They know everything. We've got everything under control. We know everything. Jesus doesn't know anything. But Jesus tells them, I say to you, 
Now, this is really interesting, according to the commentaries that I read, that he's basically saying, he says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He's putting out this idea that the congregation are sheep, and they're supposed to be taking care of the sheep, and unless God calls them, unless they are anointed by God and called by God, they come in some other way. Being a pastor or an evangelist is not a career choice. It's a calling from God. Amen? And anyone who does this should make sure that God has called them. I'll tell you what, when I asked Pastor Wayne if, if he would ordain me, you wouldn't believe how difficult my life became after that. If you want to know if you're called by God, <laughs> it's not because of Pastor Wayne, that's true. <laughs> it's not his fault. We have an enemy, amen? <laughs> it's just, I mean, <laughs> we have an enemy. I'll just leave it at that. So he's accusing them, and he doesn't outright say, you guys, he just says, Anyone, whoever does not enter the sheepfold by the door but comes in another way, in other words, he's leaving it to their consciences. You guys figure it out yourselves. Are you, you really doing this because God wants you to or is it a career choice so you guys can enrich yourselves, have golden you know, faucets in your bathroom? Amen? No, he's, this is a really real deal. And this word thief here is really interesting to me. I looked it up in the Strong's and every place in the New Testament, it means a stealer. Someone, remember, was that Dora the Explorer? She had this uh, fox or something, the swiper. Swiper, no swiping. How many, you know, a lot of people think it's no big deal to steal stuff. Oh, they won't mind. There's a, uh, anybody remember those chick comics, the little uh, Bible tracts? This guy, is, uh, his boss is watching him, and in his mind he's thinking, you know, I need a paper clip at home. And he grabs a paper clip, and his boss is saying, what? I thought this guy was a Christian, and he's stealing from me. Oh, it's just a paper clip. <laughs> Pastor Robert Morris was explaining what time says. One time his wife was in tears. Oh, oh I need to repent. I said, why? I stole. <laughs> I was at the, the five and dime. So that was before Walmart. So at the five and dime, and, and, and I opened a package, and I stole one of those little rings that you put on the holes to reinforce them. And said, really? And, and you're crying about that? Said, yes, because God had convicted her so much for stealing. Stealing, stealing is a big deal. No thief will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Praise God. So Jesus... He's, he's trying to illustrate what he's talking about. That man is a thief and a robber. When they come out to arrest Jesus, the, in the King James, it's, he says, have you come out against me as a thief? And this is a different word. Only in uh, two of the Gospels he says this. And when Jesus asks him, if you think I'm a thief, he's, the word there means a plunderer, like a pirate or a robber. Imagine calling Jesus a pirate. <laughs> Arr. No, you're not a pirate. Yeah, if you're the devil, he's a pirate against you, but he's not 
He's not unrighteous. There's no unrighteousness in Jesus. Amen? So he's speaking to some of the Pharisees. And we know that because in chapter 9, verse 40, it says that. Hallelujah. And then Jesus describes a true shepherd. And he leaves it to them. Decide for yourself. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Right here, this is a three-point sermon. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot about sheep. I've just heard things like they're really dumb. They'll... <laughs> Pastor, he said he was up in the, the Navajo Reservation and they have sheep up there and there's a bunch of sheep blocking the road. So he has to stop his vehicle. He says the sheep comes up next to his car, stands up, puts its hoofs on, its, uh, on his door and looks at him. <laughs> he said the, the look in the sheep's eye was like, hello, nobody's home. <laughs> Bible says we're like sheep. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray, it says in, in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 53. But Jesus, notice, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. This phrase means that he's the owner of the sheep. And because he's the owner of the sheep, the gatekeeper opens and lets him in. Jesus, hallelujah, should have free access to our hearts and our minds and our life. Can you say amen? Notice that the watchman, the porter, the gatekeeper opens and that Jesus calls. Remember when Jesus has risen from the dead and uh, Mary and the, and the apostles, uh, they go to the tomb and it's empty. And, and everybody leaves except Mary of Magdalene. And she's there weeping. And, and Jesus comes and says, Woman, why are you weeping? And uh, she thinks he's the gardener. <laughs> Which is kind of funny to me. But, you know, she, she's mourning. She's weeping. Jesus has died. And that's all she knows. She doesn't know why the tomb is empty. And she thinks, if, if you know where they took him, tell me so I can go, you know, and more and some more, I guess. And, and he calls her by name. Thank God Jesus has called every one of us by name. Thank God everyone, hopefully in this congregation, and if you're watching online, has heard and answered. Lift Jesus higher, and he will draw all men to him. Hallelujah. Psalm 95 or 7 says... He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We're under his care. And by the way, verse 8 continues saying, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Hallelujah. Jesus is our owner. He's purchased us with his blood. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Stranger they will not follow. They will flee from the stranger. They do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, and one commentator says this is basically a parable, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Anybody ever read something in your Bible and it's like, what? It just, 
Well, forget that. We won't know everything about anything, everything until we get to heaven. Now we know in part, then we shall know in full. But this was a pretty um, simple explanation, I think. Hallelujah. He goes before them. Strong's concordance means that he goes in front of or in place in time or space. We are in Basically, what it means is we're in the presence of God at all times. We don't have to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives within us when we're born again. Amen? In Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, God promises Moses, my presence will go with you. This is after he'd been up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and he comes down and, and they're worshiping a golden calf. And he, <laughs> he asks Aaron, what happened? And Aaron tells him, well, uh, the people brought a bunch of gold, threw it in the fire, and this golden calf jumped out. <laughs> what? Really? Okay. And then God kills a bunch of them because of the, what they've been doing. And, uh, and then he still lets Aaron be the high priest. Isn't that a gracious God that we serve? <laughs> he lies about what happened. <laughs> he let the people do it, didn't constrain the people, and God still lets them be the high priest. That just amazes me. As it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgment and His ways past finding out. Psalm 16, verse 11 says these words, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So they did not understand this figure of speech. The J.B. Phillips translation says they did not grasp the point of what he was saying to them. They didn't catch his drift. You know what I mean? Jelly bean, and they just don't, no, no, sheep, pastor, gatekeeper, ah, sorry, it didn't make sense to them. I mean, to me, it sounds pretty simple. Okay, the sheep, well, we, and they're supposed to know the, the scriptures, which for them was the Old Testament, they should have saw, sheep, oh yeah, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, huh, we should have known that, but they, it just went right over their heads. Hallelujah. I like 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Ends with these words. It says, we, but. There's lots of buts in the New Testament and the, and the Bible. And it's good that we have that. However, you could use that word instead. We have the mind of Christ. Isn't that awesome? What, an, what do they call it? Uh, an assertion or not an assumption? A... Uh, What's the word they use? Uh, an affirmation. What an affirmation. We have the mind of Christ. <laughs> Next time you're brushing your teeth, look at yourself in the mirror and say, I have the mind of Christ. And inside you'll hear a voice say, yeah, right. <laughs> and just tell it, no, no, no. The God has promised, God says, I have the mind of Christ. Amen? Amen. What a wonderful God we serve. Hallelujah. So Jesus, let me put it another way, guys. 
again said to them, truly, truly, and here's that phrase, I'm solemnly telling you the truth, guys. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now he shifts it a little bit. So this could basically be put into a, uh, a book, How to Become Part of the Flock. That would be the, the title of the, the message, How to Become Part of the Flock. Jesus said, I am the door. So first he tells him he's the shepherd. Now he's telling him, I'm the door. Okay, this is how you get in, through me. The Pharisees pretended to be more important than they really were. They had, you know, posture. They had traditions. They had rituals on how to get in to the sheepfold and become one of God's sheep. But Jesus tells them, you know what? There's something different here. I'm the door. All who came before me are thieves, and there's that word again, and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. Thank God. I'm the door. And this, you could say, here's some more of these phrases where Jesus says, I am. Or he says, I am the light of this world in the previous chapter. He says, I am the door in this chapter. In uh, chapter 14, I believe it is, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's the phrase or the name of God, I am. If anyone enters by me, that's the only way to get in through Jesus. There's no other way that uh, somebody's made this uh, cross symbol with a crown on it, and it says, N-O-W, not of this world, no other way. Jesus is the only way, hallelujah, Jesus is the exclusive way to have a relationship with God. But thank God, and I am so amazed at this, that Jesus is also the all-inclusive way. Anyone and everyone can come to God through Jesus. But that's the only way to come through God through Jesus. And the reason is because God is holy and we're not. And there's no way for us to become holy on our own. There's not enough good works. Some people are good. Some people are really bad. I was thinking the other day, and it almost brought me to tears. I was watching something on television. Some news. Uh, oh, was, uh, noticed that uh, uh, the Iranian government is executing people all left and right for protesting. And by the way, did you guys know that the young lady who was... Uh, beaten up. They, don't, they didn't just uh, tell her, you know, put your headscarf on properly. Properly, They took her to jail right away. No questions asked. And they beat her to death. She was Kurdish. Did you know that? There are Kurdish people in Iran. There are Kurdish people in Syria. And there are Kurdish people in, in Turkey. And there's Kurdish people in Kurdistan of Iraq. And they long to have their own homeland. Be that as it may, there was rioting in, in France because uh, some knucklehead went and shot a bunch of Kurdish people and those folks got angry about it. And I don't blame them. So the point that I was trying to make is that it almost brought me to tears thinking, you know, with all the technology we have, some people are still so nasty and awful and terrible and, and demonically inspired. Hallelujah. But God can save them if they'll turn to Jesus. Hallelujah. With all the advances in technology and all of the, uh, the amenities that we have in life, especially here in this country, we're so blessed. There's people in the world, they don't have running water. They don't have uh, proper sanitary facilities. 
They don't have wastewater treatment plants. It's just a mess where they, where they are. There's people that don't have enough food. And with all of that, God still is in charge. And it's not beyond God's ability to touch them. And it's not God, beyond God, God's ability to move on the hearts of people to do something to help others. But the point I'm trying to make is that we're not holy by our own selves. We're not righteous before God. The Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. And the only way to get right with God is to accept the sacrifice that Jesus himself made. Hallelujah. In Hebrews chapter... Just a minute, that's the next slide. We have the mind of Christ. Truly, truly, how to become a part of the flock. John chapter 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But here's the blessing. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 6, Jesus said, he, whoever comes to, enters by me into the sheepfold, into the family of God, they will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 6 says, Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. This pasture is rest, nourishment for our souls. Amen. Glory to God. Chapter 10, verse 10 through 11, Jesus says, The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. Three main items that he's got on his mind. But Jesus said, I came or I appeared on earth that they, that you and I may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus came. The thief. Then we get, this is where we get the word. This is the Greek word klepto, which means to steal. Or a stealer is the noun. This is a violation. Anybody ever have anything stolen from them? I had my house broken into uh, several times, and that feeling, it's, it's such a violation. That's my stuff. I worked hard for that, and somebody came in and took it. Got me uh, angry. <laughs> Some One guy, he got in big trouble over in Texas. He booby-rigged his, booby-trapped his house, and, and some inmate escaped from a prison and broke into his house. And when he broke into the house, a shotgun went off and it chopped the inmate, the escaped inmate, and uh, he survived and sued the guy and won. <laughs> That's ridiculous, dummy. <laughs> Get what you deserve. <laughs> As a man sows, so shall he reap. <laughs> Praise God. But what does the Bible tell us to do? Not steal, kill, and destroy. We're to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And it's not do unto others before they do unto you. It's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. Therefore it says, He, Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for us. Verse 25, For such a high priest is fitting for us. He is holy. He is harmless. He's undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. I like that. It says He's harmless. When people are so opposed to Jesus, 
Why are you opposed to Jesus? He's harmless. He means us no harm. He wants to bless people. Amen? Amen. Praise God. It's because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Jesus appeared on earth to give us life. His life abundantly. In the NIV, it's, uh, it's uh, translated to the fullest. Jameson, Frosted, and Brown says that he came to impart life in a rich and unfailing exuberance. God is with us. It's just amazing. In Strong's Concordance, there's eight different words for abundance. But this particular one, it means to superabound in quality, to cause, to excel, to be the better. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, my life was better. There was problems still, but my life was better. I was no longer an alcoholic. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. It means to exceed. The, the Jewish annotated New Testament says that this is talking about eternal life. We have the hope of eternal life. Glory to God. We have an advantage and much more, as Matthew Henry says, because Jesus appeared to give us that life, His life, abundantly. And it doesn't mean that He came to give us, you know, all of our wishes. Uh, he's not the big genie in the sky. You know, whatever you want, I'll give you. That's not, not the way it works. Amen? Amen. Praise God. For it's like Pastor Wayne said, if some people were, were suddenly become wealthy, it would kill them because they, they can't even handle their own finances at the moment. Praise God. God trusts those who prove themselves trustworthy. Eternal life. Hallelujah. <clears throat> to superabound in quality. To be the better. Glory to God. God is with us. Amen. And the way... This is possible is because Jesus, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. Hallelujah. He lays down his life for the sheep. Let's go on. Chapter, verse 12 through 13. Now, the hired hand is not the shepherd, does not own the sheep doesn't have a vested interest, hasn't paid any price. He's just getting paid wages. He sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Thank God that we have a faithful God who loves us to the very end. He owns us. We've been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. You're not your own. You have been bought with a price. The hired hand is careless. He's not invested. He's neglectful. He has no, no, uh, no vested interest. And he abandons the sheep. And he allows damage to the flock. And like I mentioned earlier, it's not a career choice to be a pastor. It's a calling from God. And the wolf, it could be anything that's evil that wants to attack the sheepfold, that wants to, you know, chip away at whatever weakness you and I have. But thank God that Jesus is our good shepherd. Thank God that we have pastors that love us and, and care for us and give us advice. Hallelujah. The good shepherd 
knows, I know my own and my own know me. Just exactly as the same way the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The good shepherd knows, hallelujah, he knows everything about us, knows the number of hairs on our heads. Glory to God. Our joy is that he knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Amen? He knows us. That is, he approves and accepts us. Because we've turned to him, we put our trust in Jesus that what he did on the cross and raising again from the dead is more than enough to make us good enough to be acceptable in the beloved. The good shepherd knows each soul personally. Hallelujah. Jesus was well acquainted with the Father. The same way that Jesus and the Father know each other, we're supposed to know Jesus that same way. Job chapter 22, it's a good thing to read this whole thing for yourselves. Make a note, read Job chapter 22. Verse 21 says, acquaint yourself now, acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. We can have peace with God through Jesus because his blood covers all of our sin. Be at peace Thereby, good will come to you. God is good. Can you say amen? And he does good. And he wants to be, uh, he's the best dad in the universe. That's the way I can only, you know, perceive it. But goes on, good will come to you. And then in verse 27, it says, you will make your prayer to him. He will hear you. And you will pay your vows. God moves upon your heart or puts an idea in your mind. And you obey God. And he hears you, hallelujah, and he's going to bring good to us, amen. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 says these words, I am not ashamed, but, here's another, but I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard or keep until that day what I have entrusted to him. If you and I have trusted our souls to Jesus, we can know that we're going to be able to stand before God and say, I put my trust in Jesus, and he's the anchor for my soul, and I throw myself on the mercy of the court of heaven because I could never pay for my own sins myself, but Jesus, I trust that what he did is more than enough. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Nevertheless, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, the solid foundation of God stands. Thank God that God's foundation is solid. It doesn't shift. I, where my house is built uh, almost 50 years ago used to be cotton fields. So the soil is... Mostly clay. It was good for growing cotton, I guess, but not too good for growing houses because uh, the clay, the soil, shrink, uh, expands and contracts when it gets wet. So I have cracks in some of my walls. I have cracks in some of my foundation. I have cracks in my floor of my house because it's not a solid foundation like it's supposed to be. But thank God that the kingdom of God has this solid foundation it stands. 
having this seal. And this is the seal of the foundation of the kingdom of God. The Lord knows those who are His. God knows us. Amen. He knows those who are His. And Jesus said in verse 8, 16 to 18, I have other sheep. Other sheep? What do you mean? Wait a minute. Where the, the Israelites, they're the chosen people of God. And they're exclusively the only ones who are worshiping God properly. And Jesus said, I have other sheep. But you know what? Remember Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 6, He sends out the 70 and, and it tells them, don't go anywhere else except to the lost sheep of Israel. And then verse 15, verse 24 in Matthew says the same thing. There's the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I believe it was the Syrophoenician war. Canaanite woman comes, Jesus, Jesus, my daughter's demon-possessed. Help me, help me. Ah, you know, I'm not uh, supposed to go to anybody but the lost sheep of, of the house of Israel. She says, yeah, 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 come on, please, please help. And at first he ignores her. And then uh, she comes in and Jesus tells her, well, it's not right to take the food off the table and give it to the dogs. And she gets violently, you're calling me a dog? She doesn't get upset at all. She says, yes, but even the little puppies eat the crumbs that fall off the table. And Jesus looks at her and says, great is your faith. And be it done unto you. And then she goes home and her daughter is totally healed. Praise God. Even though Jesus said, I'm not sent to anyone other than the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he graciously allowed this stranger to the covenants of God. Hallelujah. To the commonwealth of Israel, as it's called. She, he allows her to come in. And thank God, he has allowed us to come in. Amen. Glory to God. This is I must. It's imperative. Absolutely. Jesus, this is the end of His life here on earth. He's saying that there's other sheep. That's you and I. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. Because you guys are not listening to me. I'm going to get... You guys reject Jesus? Fine. And that's when you're dealing with somebody and trying to get them to get saved and accept Jesus... You know, like Pastor Wayne said, you don't argue with them. You tell them, look, look, if I can show you this, would you accept Jesus as your Savior? Would you become a Christian? And if they say, no, I just want to argue. I say, okay, fine. I'm not going to argue with you. But if they want to accept Christ as their Savior, they're in their lost, then they will listen to his voice. If you can show them in Scripture, that's how I got saved. I read the Bible for myself, and, and faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. And, and uh, I read in Romans chapter 10, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, confess with him out, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And I thought, hmm, well, I've always heard Jesus rose from the dead. I guess I'm saved. And then I read uh, Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh, and oh my goodness, I'm doing all of these. I guess I'm not saved. And then one day I asked somebody, how do you get saved? And they said, it's real simple. It's so simple that even a four-year-old could do it. Jonathan Edwards was a, a 
preacher in the uh, uh, <clears throat> original 13 colonies before we became uh, uh, the United States of America, and his little four-year-old grandson, would, I was out there leading people to Jesus. He's late for dinner one time, and I said, where is he? He's out there preaching. <laughs> Four years old. Praise God. So simple. Just trust in Jesus. What he did on the cross is more than enough to make us good enough to have be accepted by God. Hallelujah. He wants to be acquainted. I have more sheep than you see is basically what he's saying to these people. I have more sheep than you, than you see. I'm going to know. We don't see everything. If we could, I think it would blow our minds and you know, fry our circuits. We'd probably not be able to function if God showed us everything that he's going to do with us all at once. Oh, right, yeah, we'd be motivated. We'd probably, you know, fall on the floor and just short circuit like a robot. God, oh, God, there's no way I could do all that, God. Hallelujah. Thank God. The Bible says, I believe it's in Isaiah chapter 28, here a little, there a little, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little in the uh, book of, uh, I believe it's in, uh, uh, after they come out, I forget what book it's in, <laughs> after they come out of Egypt and they're going to conquer the land of Canaan, God says little by little they'll get it. Thank God that he doesn't overload us. We want to we connect and download. But praise God that he won't just, you know, overload us. Hallelujah. The lost sheep. So, there will be one flock and one shepherd. Because Jesus died for all mankind, he has a claim. Anybody ever file an insurance claim? You can get, you pay for the insurance, and then when you need it, all right, I'm going to file a claim, and they're supposed to give you what you file for. Well, Jesus has a claim on all of humanity, and those that don't want to have anything to do with him, he still has a claim on their lives. And hopefully, they will hear his voice. One flock, one shepherd. Eventually, there will be one kingdom on earth, the new heavens and the new earth, praise God, and they will hear his voice. Hallelujah. And the reason for this is Jesus has laid down his life. And he says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I mean, you know, Jesus had a choice. He could have said no. He could have said no. Ah, I think I'll just follow uh, what the devil said. I'll worship him and he'll give me all the kingdoms. When he was tempted in the wilderness, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory and said, I'll give them to you if you'll fall down and worship me. There's people that have done that, have fallen down and worship uh, because they think that, you know, they'll get the kingdom here on earth. But, they don't think of the consequences. The Father loves Jesus. So if Jesus didn't lay down his life, would God still love him? Just saying. But he did lay down his life. Thank God. No one takes it from me. 
He did have to go through the suffering. And they call it the passion because the word passion means, uh, it comes from the Latin, it means a sacrifice. If you're passionate for God, you'll sacrifice stuff for when God tells you to. And then Jesus said, I lay it down of my own accord, his own free will. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. No one takes, no one took Jesus' life from him. Sure, the Romans put him on the cross. Sure, they beat the daylights out of him. Sure, he, he died on the cross, gave up, he expired. His, his body quit working. That's it. The Romans came and sure he's dead. Let's break his legs. No, stick a spear in his side. Yep, he's dead. Okay. And, and, and everyone thought, all right, we got rid of that problem. No more Jesus coming around telling us what to do. <laughs> Little did they know that he had authority to take it up again. This charge or command he received from the Father. Jesus was operating under commands from God. The reason, because he laid it down and he gave it back, took it back up. Glory to God. And then we'll finish up with, oops, there we go. Verse 19 through 21. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Again. In chapter 7, verse 43, there was a division among the Jews because of Jesus. In chapter 9, verse 16, there was a division among the Jews because of Jesus. A division. <laughs> Matthew Henry comments, he says, it's better that men should be divided about the doctrines of Jesus then united in the service of sin. It's better that men should be divided. Sure, we have questions. Nobody's going to agree with everything. But it's better to be that we might have questions about the doctrine of Christ than we unite in the service of sin. Amen? That's good advice. Hallelujah. So, they had opinions. Many of them expressed their opinions. <laughs> Someone once said, opinions are like armpits. Everyone has them and they stink. <laughs> because opinions in the kingdom of heaven are nice, but what's better is the truth. Amen? What's better is what God says and not opinions. What do they say? What's the opinion of Jesus? Ah, oh, he has a demon. <laughs> what? There's God in the flesh standing there in front of them and they say, he's demon-possessed. What? Demon-possessed? He's insane. What? Really? Why? Why? Why would they say he's insane? Because he says, I'm the door. I am the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to lay down my life and take it back up again. None of us can do that. So he must be insane because he thinks he can give up his life and then come back to life. <laughs> no one's ever come back to life yet. Wait till the next couple of chapters when they meet Lazarus. Hey, guess what? <laughs> then there was uh, 
another story where he's uh, outside the city of Nain and uh, a funeral procession is coming out and there's a young man on the funeral bed there and his mom's a widow and there's no way she's going to be able to take care of himself and the Bible says Jesus has moved with compassion, tells him, guys, stop, stop, wait, and comes over and touches the dead man and he comes back to life and he gives her back to his mom. Can you imagine the joy in that woman's heart and soul and the amazement of the funeral possessions like we were going to bury him Whew. oh good thing we didn't get that far can you imagine the jo- come back to life but Jesus when he came back to life never died again glory to God and, and they're saying well he's demon possessed because he says he's going to come back to life again <laughs> what an opinion they say he's, 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 he's insane. And then they make fun of the people that don't agree with them. Why are you listening to him? They're ridiculing the hearers, those that are listening. You know, I think Jesus knows what he's talking about. I think he's got a good point there. I think we should listen to him and pay attention. You know what? I think I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I think I'm going to surrender to him. I think I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life because he's got some really sound and concrete promises. And they're making fun of them. What are you listening to him for? What do you want all that for? Well, I don't want to die. <laughs> you know, I want the blessing of God on my life. Why are you listening to Jesus? Why are you paying attention to him? Because I want the blessing of God on my life. And I hope you do too. Amen. Praise God. They ridiculed those who were paying attention to Jesus. So what do they do? They defend Jesus. They others said, these are not the words of one oppressed by a demon or a demoniac. Demoniacs don't walk around saying, I'm going to lay down my life and take it back up again. They don't walk around saying, I'm the good shepherd. I really care for people. Most insane people, we, <laughs> there's a lady in my neighborhood, walks around real fast all the time, talking to herself. And then that the other day, and <laughs> And Kathy looked at her like, what in the world? Poor lady, I, I don't know if she's on drugs or she's just demon-possessed and, and she ta- always talks really loud. It's like, that lady, I don't think I would follow her. And they, they're saying, Jesus, hey, he's demon-possessed. Wait a minute. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Remember what the young man said to the Pharisees when they put him on trial? It's been unheard of since the beginning of time that anyone's born blind had their eyes opened. It's like, really? It's just, a demon can't do that. Why would a demon do something like that? They're nasty. They don't like people. They want to harm us. The thief comes to, to steal, kill, and destroy not to build up, not to heal. The thief didn't come to do that. A demoniac wouldn't do that. This is unheard of. And what the commentator says is, these are not the words of a one who is demon-possessed. The commentary that I read says, these are gracious words that we hear from Jesus. Gracious words. Grace builds up. Grace, oh, freely poured out. We don't deserve grace. But thank God, because of his mercy, he poured it out. Hallelujah. Listen to what some 
I don't know who this guy is. I should have looked it up. In Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary, there's a, a Bible scholar. And my goodness, I have a, a, a two copies of a three-volume um, dictionary of the Bible. And most people that argue about the Bible have no idea how much research has gone in to looking at the, the Greek and the Hebrew and the Chaldean and translating it. How much study, hundreds of years worth of study. There's a bibliography and in the, under each of the, uh, the headings, there's this is the word in Greek and this is the word in Hebrew and this is how many different words there are and this is what they mean. It's like page after page of explanation of things. And then after that, there's the notes of who wrote all this stuff? Where we get these uh, information from? Who studied all of these things? And Mr. Olshausen, sounds like a German name, says the Redeemer's knowledge of us is the active ingredient or element penetrating us with His power and life. Our ingredient or element is the passive principle, the receiving of His life. When we give our life to Jesus, we receive Him. We receive His Holy Spirit. And we download, or we connect and download. And then His love and His life, and these are the words of Mr. Olshausen, they unfolds in obedience to His commands and leading. So when we're obedient to God, we, like I said, we don't get everything all at once. As we go along, as we're obedient to God, His gracious words take hold in our heart and begin to express themselves in obedience through us. That's where we grow and mature. We're not there yet. Just like Paul says, I haven't arrived, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind, and I press on toward the prize of the high calling of our God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise God. Are you with me? I hope you're pressing on. We have to be careful not to get lazy or complacent. But we want to press on because God's got good things for us. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah.